All right, we're going to be continuing in Luke chapter 1. Lord, we just thank you for this day, this opportunity to worship and bring praises to your name. We ask you to bless us as we worship in the word. Show us what you would want us to see from this. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week we talked about the announcement of John the Baptist's uh, birth to John and, uh, yeah, to his parents, Zacharias and, and uh, Elizabeth. And we're going to continue the story in Luke in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was, was sent from God unto the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail you that are highly favored, the Lord is with you, and blessed art you among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you shall conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. And he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And for his kingdom there shall be, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto him, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel said unto her, The Holy Spirit shall come upon you, and the power of the highest shall overshadow you. Therefore the holy thing which shall be born of you shall be called the Son of God. And behold, your cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and is in the sixth month with her who is called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaiden of the Lord, be it unto me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is a story we know fairly well. We've all heard this story. So you know, I get to teach it oftentimes in December. <laughs> uh, we won't teach it this December because we just taught it this month. But you know, we have this story in the sixth month. We had the sixth month of what? Sixth month of Mary's, uh, excuse me, Elizabeth's pregnancy because that was the former story. We've got to take things in context. So after six months, so we have a six-month period between the last verse we read and this verse. And the angel comes to Mary. And this is kind of an interesting thing. To a virgin espoused to a man named Joseph of the house of David. Now we want to keep in mind in this statement, espousal was a lot more important than our engagement periods. In the Jewish tradition, they would actually have a ceremony that espoused the woman and the man together, even though they did not come and live in the same home. It was further, it wasn't quite a marriage, but it was a lot deeper than our, our idea of engagement. You would get espoused. The husband's job for that part, usually up to about a year, was to go out, get his business going, get a house and a room built for the for his new wife and, 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 and future family. He got everything ready, showed that he could support her and ready to go. And then his family threw a big party where he would go and the wife did not know when it was going to happen. So he basically kidnapped her from her parents' home. <laughs> the parents usually knew when this was happening, but they didn't tell her in most cases. Carry her off to their new home and have a week-long celebration of their marriage and have a wonderful time. 
So she is a spouse. She is in this period where Joseph is gone to get his business under, underway, build the, build the room or house for them. And she is still a virgin. And this is an important statement because this is the fulfillment of Isaiah 7.14 that says, Behold, a virgin shall give birth to the Messiah. So this is going to be the completion of this. And this is something that Mary is not understanding. You know, when we read back in Elizabeth and, and Zechariah, Zechariah is going, well, how is this going to be? You know, we've been praying for a kid, but why are we going to get the answer to this prayer? Because we're both old. Yeah, uh, and he didn't use the word old. He goes, uh, well advanced, <laughs> uh, well stricken in age. That was what, we're well stricken in age. So they were praying for a baby, but they're like, we don't really believe God's going to give us a baby. So now when God says we're going to give you a baby, they question it. Mary's going to question it too, but you know what? Her question is more, I, you know, I'm not even married. How can I have a baby? Okay, it doesn't make a lot of sense to her. Elizabeth and Zechariah have been praying for a baby. This is the answer to their prayer. And they're going, well, how can this be? And God says, fine, you're not going to, you know, Zechariah, you're not going to speak. Uh, we come to this one, and a virgin is going to give birth. Why does it have to be a virgin? Well, part of it is the, it's the completion of Genesis 3.15, where God told Eve, your seed shall crush the head of of the serpent all right now it's very understood that the woman has the egg they don't have the seed <laughs> all right which basically god was saying you're not going to have a man involved in this this delivery of the messiah because the man is the one that transmits the sin nature through their genetic code put into it so jesus was born of a virgin so that he would not have a sin nature and this is very important because every human being that's born the normal, natural way is born with a sin nature. We are born guilty. <laughs> now, we like to say, well, God, how could bad things happen to that poor, innocent little child? Well, if you've ever dealt with a little baby, they're not very innocent. They are very selfish. They are very demanding. Even before they can speak, they demand what they want. When they're hungry, they scream. When they have a dirty diaper, they scream. <laughs> when they have a want attention, they scream. They are extremely selfish because that is the sin nature that they are born with. And that sin nature comes from their human parents. Jesus did not have a father. He did not have the sin nature. Eve was tricked into disobedience. Adam willfully went into disobedience. Now, I don't know why he willfully went into it, probably because he was going to be separated from his wife and decided, I'm just going to stick with my wife and said, I don't, I don't see any other way that God can work this out and said, I need to be with her and just willingly sinned. He, and we see it all through scripture. Eve was tricked. Adam was by choice. And so this one had to be by a virgin. And this is something we have to take by faith, that she was a virgin. She said she was a virgin. The angel said he understood that she was. And she was this thing, and it was the fulfillment of two scriptures. That the birth was going to be from a virgin, and from the very first Messianic verse in the Bible, Genesis 3.15. So we have this whole process of the angel showing up. And it's kind of an interesting thing. He shows up, and it says that... Uh, Mary was troubled. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, to say the least, she was troubled. A man coming to see her without another chaperone was bad enough. And she doesn't know that it's an angel at first. So all of a sudden he comes in. It doesn't show, say that he knocked on the door. It doesn't say anything about it. He just shows up. Now, any woman out there would know that if a man shows up in their house, their room, their bedroom, wherever she was, by themselves, is a big problem in the first place. In their day and age, it's a double problem because there was no chaperone to have a man there. We've got to make sure we understand what it meant in their day. This is a very troubling event from her because she is a righteous young woman following after God to the best of her ability. And all of a sudden, there's an angel in her room talking to her. And his message bothers her as well because he says, Hail you that are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Now, this is quite a greeting. You're special. Now, how many of us might like to have an angel say that you're special? Now, we might think it's a really good thing until we look at the Bible and see what happens to all these special women (laughs) and what God asks them to do. (laughs) Deborah, you're going to be the judge of Israel. Uh, Esther, you're going to get to go into the king and take your life in your hands and and present the request to save your people. uh, Ruth, you're going to go out and, you know, be able to be the rescuer of your family, but it's going to be a hard time getting there. You know, we always think it would be really wonderful for God to come and call us. And it is a great thing when he calls us. Because great things happen when he calls us. The problem is the time between the call and the great things happening oftentimes is a lot of hardship where God says, are you going to be faithful? Are you going to do what I have called you to do? Mary is going to be told, you are going to have a child. And it's going to be God's child. It's not Joseph's child. It is God's child. Now, this is a great honor. Every woman, especially in the, in the southern tribe of Judah, was always hoping that they would have a male child and that their child would be the Messiah, the ruler of Israel. That was their dream. I am sure she at this point is not thinking about a child. She is thinking like every young girl. She's thinking about the wedding. <laughs> I'm looking forward to the wedding. Maybe someday children. <laughs> but at this point in her life, she's thinking about the wedding. Now we don't really understand in our day what a big deal this is. She is going to get pregnant before the wedding. She is going to get pregnant in a society that does not accept extramarital uh, relationships. Mary is going to be rejected by the women of her town for the rest of her life because she is going to have a reputation that she does not deserve. All right, this is a big deal. We never really think too much about Mary's side of this thing. Remember, first off, Mary is a young girl, probably around 14 or 15 years old, which was the normal age to get married in that society. She is a Jew who doesn't 
want to have a baby before, before she's actually married in the consummation, and yet now the angel says, you are going to be pregnant. This is a big deal. This changes Mary's life completely. Nobody in Nazareth is going to believe that she's still a virgin. You know, because they're all going to go and they're going to go just like we would do. Uh-huh, Mary, uh, you and Joseph have been getting a little uh, too close here. Uh, maybe you've got somebody else on the side. You know, what's, what's been going on? We, we know that nobody gets pregnant without a man being involved, even though she is saying that this is God's child. We're going to find out Joseph has a hard time with it, too, until God comes in and says, this is my child. She is, she is innocent. The law says that she's pregnant without being married. She's supposed to be stoned and executed. Do you begin to understand how Mary's life is going to be turned upside down? She is going through all kinds of emotions at the moment when she hears this message. On one side, it's, I'm going to have a child. <laughs> I'm not just going to have a child. I'm going to have the Messiah. And on the other hand, she's thinking about how her life has just been turned completely upside down. She knows uh, what, the, what the town people are going to say, especially the women. The men are going to look at her, wow, maybe, maybe she's easier than we thought she was. The women are saying, keep your men away from her. Look, look what she's doing. You know, and we laugh about that, but you know, this is really what was going on for Mary. Mary's life is turned upside down by something we just think of, well, what, what a wonderful news she was. She got to have the Messiah. She's going to spend the rest of her life suffering from that action. How many times does God ask us to do something in our life that may cause our reputation to look bad for a while? When he says, I want you to not agree with all the political correct activity out there. I want you to take a stand. And the world looks at us and says, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? You believe that old ancient book that has rules in it that everybody knows aren't true anymore? You know, this is an interesting world that we live in. We are so far away from God's word, and they believe that we should evolve along with them in our, in our truth. Well, you know what? My God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he hasn't changed his mind about his rules. It may become very unpopular to say that his rules are rules. It may even become hate speech and put us in jail and prisons because of his rules that can't be changed. So we need to be able to take this stance and say, God, I am going to stand on what you say no matter what other people say about it. This is a hard decision for us. This is a hard fact for us because it will make us unpopular with the world. When we come up and say adultery and fornication is sin, when homosexuality is claimed to be a sin, when, God, when we take God's standard on truth, you know, it is very important to understand when God says truth, he's saying we say, speak the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Our courts took that from God's standard. Now, it's an amazing thing. If you go to court and you have your lawyer, your lawyer is going to tell you, you're going to swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, and what they tell you is answer just the question that was asked. They tell you don't say the whole truth. You know, you're not to lie, but you're to answer only exactly what was asked, but don't tell the whole truth. 
So your lawyers tell you to lie by God's standard. <laughs> you know, and this is important for us. What standard are we taking? Are we taking the world standard? Or are we taking God's standards on things? And the hard thing about it is taking God's standard, even other Christians will think you're strange. <laughs> All right. Even other Christians will think you're strange when you push it all the way to what God says. And you know what? We'll never get to where God says on any of these things. But we need to be able to say, God, I want to follow you. Mary's being given a hard thing. This is, this is a quite troubling to Mary. On, it's exciting on the one side, troubling on the other side. And she goes to, to uh, and he's promised, he goes, you the you shall conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now, this is the Greek form. Jesus is the Greek form of his name. His name is Yeshua. God is our Savior, is what the name means in Jesus and in Yeshua, or in English, Joshua. God is our Savior. So, this is kind of important for us to understand because there are, every few years we get the people moving around and saying, you've got to pray in the right, right name. You've got to use the Hebrew words for, for, Jesus, for God's name. You've got, you've got to call him Hebrew. In uh, Hebrew, Yahweh, if you're, not, if you're not praying to Yahweh, you're not praying to the right God. Well, you know what? I am not Hebrew. I don't speak Hebrew. So I will keep using the name God and Jesus rather than Yahweh and Yeshua. Because those are his Hebrew names, but I speak English, and I'm going to praise God in English. Now, if God wants to teach me Hebrew, then I can go praise him in Hebrew. Or if I want to learn Hebrew, I can praise him in Hebrew. But you know what? I'm going to praise him in the language that I speak. So don't get it caught up in these moves. About every 20, 30 years, this big move comes along and says, you've got to, got to call him Yeshua. You've got to call God Yahweh. Call him what you're going to call him. Don't get wrapped up in these big movements uh, because God's name is God. You know, and you know, what it talks about, when we're told you know, we pray in, in the name of Jesus, okay, it means reputation. Everything about who he is is what they're talking about when they say name. It's not just literally that name because we'd be in trouble if we all had to learn Hebrew and say, okay, I've got to pray in the name of Yeshua. You know, can't pray in any other name. So I pray in his name is his power, his authority. Um, and how you want to look at that? If the police say stop in the name of the law, they're not talking about the pieces of paper that are sitting in the, in the courthouse. They're talking about the reputation and the power that goes with those laws for them to enforce them. When we pray in the name of Jesus, we're looking at all the power, all the reputation that goes with that name. Right? Our ambassadors are sent overseas, and they represent our country. The name of the country can be either lifted up or brought down by the way they act. And that's the same for all ambassadors. So we want to keep that in mind as we go into this. And I bring this up because it's time for the big movement to come back to the Yahweh only and Yeshua movement again. It's about, about time for it to come in. Last time I remember was in the 80s, so it's about 20 or 30 years, so we're right actually a little late for the next round of it. <laughs> so if you hear about it, don't worry about it. If you want to pray in Yahweh or Yeshua, be my guest. It's not going to hurt, but just know it's not what the Bible's talking about when it says in his name. His name's going to be Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the house of the throne of his father David. 
and he shall reign over Jacob forever. What a promise to her. Your son is going to be king. Only problem is he doesn't become king in, in that lifetime. He's not going to be king until the end of the millennial, uh, the end of the tribulation and through the millennial kingdom where he will literally reign in Jerusalem over Israel and the world. But his first coming was to die. And she didn't tell that, wasn't told that. How would you like to have been told your son's coming to die? No. Uh, it's got to have been hard for her to watch Jesus go through that death. Yeah. He starts preaching at age 30. Four years later, he's being put on a cross as a criminal. And she knows that he's not a criminal. She knows that he's supposed to be the king. The disciples thought that he was going to be king. In spite of Jesus telling them over and over and over again, I'm going to die and then I'm going to resurrect, they were, this death thing came as a surprise to them. Why? Because just like us, when we don't hear what we want to hear, we ignore it. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty amazing that God knows that we are very thick-headed and ignore what he says. And we go through the Bible, and how many times does God repeat himself? How patient God is to keep saying the same thing over and over and over again, because he knows we don't listen. Now, and it's amazing, we're all guilty of it, myself included. We're all guilty of what it says here does not compute, so I'm not going to believe it at the time. And God has to say it five or six times in the seven, eight, nine, tenth time we read it, we go, well, maybe it's true. Maybe I'm going to go ahead and believe it. Something as simple as God loves you. Do you really understand what that means? And do you believe it? That God loves you and gives you grace. I want to tell you, I don't even understand it, and I know it better than most people. You know, we have a song that we sing, you know, I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon that cross. When I first heard that, I'm going, what a silly song. It cost him his very life. But you know, the more I think about what it cost God to put his son on the cross, the more I realize that I don't even know the beginning of the cost of my salvation. I really don't even begin to understand the love that God has for me. And I understand it better than a lot of people. And I still don't understand the love that God has for me. The grace that God shows me. And you. He loves us more than we can ever understand. He gives us more grace than we can ever understand. And we need to learn to appropriate that into our life and live under that grace and that love. There is nothing we can do to make God not love us. There is nothing we can do that God will not cover that sin and forgive it. Nothing. We cannot let Satan come along and say, well, you've just gone way too far. God will never, God will never forgive that. It's a lie. Don't buy into it. If you have accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, he is living there. He has given you eternal life and you are forgiven of everything. And he has clothed you in the righteousness of Christ. And when God looks at you, he sees perfection. Now we know we're not perfect. 
But you know what? God is saying, I see you perfect. I don't see you the way the world sees you. I do not see you the way you see yourself. We need to learn to understand to see ourselves the way God sees us. We covered many, many years ago the 51 things that happened to us at the moment of salvation. Start looking at those things. We are adopted into the family. We've got all the blessings of the family name. We are perfect. We are clothed in righteousness. We are forgiven. We are loved. We are bought with a price. We need to understand who we are in Christ and learn to forgive ourselves of what we do wrong so that we can go forward with a, with a great clear conscience. And when Satan attacks you and says you're not worthy, we can go, yeah, you know what? I know I am, but God says I am worthy. Satan likes to remind us of who we are. He will give us all kinds of facts. This is who you are. We need to give him truth. You know what, Satan? It is true that I am, I am a terrible person. I, I sin all the time. But Jesus says I'm forgiven. The truth is I am forgiven and I am perfect. You can give me your facts all day long, but I am forgiven. What would happen if you started to really see yourself as what God says you are? How would it change the way you act about things and the things that you do? How would it change the way you treat other Christians to realize that they are forgiven, blood-bought, perfect people in the Father's sight? Would that change the way you treat other Christians? Would you be more forgiving to them because God forgives them? Would you be more loving to them because of how God sees them? I hope so. And it should have a great impact on us to understand this process. This is a big deal. And Mary's answer to all of this is, you know, how can this be? She didn't say no way. She didn't, she's going, I don't understand how this can be. I have not been in bed with another man. So how can this be? And God, or Gabriel said to her, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. This is kind of an interesting statement um, because the idea that they had of God overshadowing the Jewish people was that God's protection and his love. In uh, Psalm 51, 7, it says that God will shadow us with his wings. Isaiah 25, 4 says that the, sh that the shadows us. Um, Verse uh, Isaiah 51.3 says that he will cover us with the shadow of his hand. There was an intimacy involved with this. When the children of Israel wandered through the wilderness, they were led by the pillar of fire by night to give them warmth and, and light. And at nighttime, a pillar of cloud, which many people believe was literally a cloud that shadowed them. When they were, over, when they were camped, God would cover them. And you know how important shade is in the, in the desert? And, God, and so God gave them this comfort. It was an intimacy involved with it. In this case, it was a literal in intimacy that the Holy Spirit was going to come upon her and give her a child. And it's kind of interesting that it says, and the holy thing in you. It's kind of an interesting child, uh, verse, but it is making a strong point. Jesus was born, what we call in the Greek, theanthropos, the, the God-man. He was 100% God, 100% man. 
Now, in our, in our mentality, we're going to think, well, he was half God, half man, because we think, you know, when you put two things together, they're half and half. All right? Uh, God was not using that, that mathematics. He was saying, I'm coming in, and he's 100% me, and he's 100% man, because if he wasn't 100% man, he couldn't be tempted. He is a unique individual. This is why they didn't use baby in here or creation. They could have used creation. But he is the God-man. 100% God, 100% man. This gets us into all kinds of interesting things about him because later on when he's ministering, many times we will say, and he knew their thoughts. He knew the intent of their heart. He knew more about people than any other person who's ever walked in there. And yet he had to stay close to the Father because of his humanity. But his humanity never sinned. He did not have a sin nature. And because of his relationship with God and being God, it was able to stay in check. And then, just to help her out with her belief, he goes, and your cousin Elizabeth is pregnant too. She's been pregnant for six months. And the one who's been called barren has, is now pregnant. So now we have the two extremes. This really, this older person who was called barren, who was never going to have a child, is now pregnant, and God has made you pregnant. And it says, with God, nothing is impossible. I really want us to grab hold of this. might even be one of our verses in some time, one of these verses that say that without God, with God, nothing is impossible. When God asks us to do something, he is going to give us the power to do it. When God says to do something, we need to stretch out our hand and do what he says. Because he will give us the power, he will give us the strength, he will make a way. We sing a song, he will make a way when there seems to be no way. No, God will give us the power, God will give us the provision. And he says, I am the one that does it. And Mary's answer is, Behold, the handmaiden of the Lord, be it to me according to your word. And the angel departed. Mary's answer is so much different than Zachariah's answer. She still doesn't understand. And you know what? Most of the time we will not understand what God tells us to do. But her answer was, I am your servant. I will do what you say. What should our attitude be when God tells us to do something? God, I am your servant. I will obey. The servant does what the master says, no matter whether it makes sense or doesn't make sense, whether it's hard or easy, the servant says, the servant's answer is, yes, I will go. What is God going to ask you to do? I can't tell you. What has God asked you to do? You may know. Have you stepped forward in what God has asked you to do? If God has asked you to do something and you haven't stepped forward, then God is waiting for you to go do what he told you to do. God is not going to ask you to do something else. If you, if you know that God has asked you to do something, get up and do what he's told you to do. And then start listening for the next thing he's going to tell you to do. Many times we go, God, that's too hard. I'm not going to do it. I'm just not going to do it. Then what ends up happening? Our prayers seem to go only to the ceiling. We don't feel close to God. 
And because God is saying, hey, I told you what to do and you're not listening. I'm not talking to you anymore until you do what I tell you to do. Abraham was told, leave her of Chaldees and go to the land that I show you. And he stopped in Haran. He stopped there for 15 to 20 years. And during that period of time, there's no indication that God ever spoke to him. As soon as he left Haran and started walking where he was going, immediately there's a statement that God spoke to him. Are you feeling distant from God? What was the last thing God told you to do? Go back and do it. And then you'll find that you're going to be reconnected and God's going to say, okay, now let's, let's give you the next step. God does not give us new steps when we're disobedient in the previous steps. Mary's answer, behold your slave, your servant. We want to keep this in mind and say, God, what is it that you want me to do? Because we are all, if you are God's child, you are a servant for God. There's, it's not just a handful of people in the church that have been given some things to do. We all have things to do from God. And we just need to be listening. It may be something big. It may be something small. It's probably something scary to you. You know, it may be something small, but it's going to be... Otherwise, if it wasn't scary, you'd have done it already. <laughs> All right? If it was real easy, okay, God, God says, I just want you to read your Bible once a week. You know, it would be real easy to go read my Bible once a week. But God says, I want you to go talk to that, that neighbor next door that doesn't know that you're a Christian. Well, God, I don't know about that. They, they, they look mean and scary. I don't, I don't know that I want to talk to them. And God's saying, I want you to talk to them. You know, if, if what God has asked you to do was easy, you'd have done it. You know, it's amazing, though, how little simple things can keep somebody from moving with God. God comes out to tell people, this is how you get saved. You just admit you're a sinner and ask Jesus for salvation. Well, God, what else can I do? It's got to be something harder. I love to tell them, well, of, well, this one seems to be awfully hard. You haven't done it yet. You know, what is keeping you from serving God? If it was something that, that God has asked you to do, then you're, and you haven't done it, there's something that you're afraid of. Go out and do what he's asked you to do. And I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is for any of you, but I know there's things that God has told me to do that I have to get out and get doing. Because it is important to step out and walk with him and do what he's asked you to do. We are his servants. Mary says, I am your servant. Paul's favorite description of himself is, I am a bond slave of God. I am your servant, God. Tell me what to do. So we want to get to that place where we recognize, God, you have something for me to do. So our prayer as we close today will be, I want to pray for each one of us to move us forward in wherever God has asked us to do. If we could get an entire church of people moving forward with God, I'd be interested to see where our church will go. We might have to make a new building if we actually all did what God told us to do. You know, so our challenge, what is it that God's asking you to do? Lord, we just thank you for your word. First off, Lord, if there's anybody listening that doesn't know you, we ask that they will admit that they're a sinner, that they deserve hell, and ask you to forgiveness and bring them into you. And we ask you to bless each one of us in your son's name. And Lord, for those of us sitting here that know you, 
We ask that you convict us of what you have told us to do. And Lord, encourage and prompt us and give us the unction to go forward in what you have told us to do and step out in faith in what scares us by what you've called. And Lord, we pray and ask everybody to commit to that and you know, just commit to serving God in all that he asks. In Jesus' name, amen. Listening friend, do you know where you'll go after you die? Without the gift of Jesus, it will be an eternity in hell without God. Good works will not get you there. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. To spend eternity with God, we must recognize that we are sinners in need of Christ. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To be assured eternal life, we simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask him for his free gift. You must mean the words to get the to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked him for eternal life, he has come into you and he will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. After you understand the book of Ephesians, you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next, find a good Bible teaching church. Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. If you contact us, we will send you a new believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431. We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.